Please open your Bibles to Judges chapter number 16. Judges chapter number 16. This is the final chapter of the Judges. In the, it's not the final chapter of the book of Judges, but it's the final chapter of the Judges in particular, because Samson is our final judge, and in this chapter, he is going to find his end, unfortunate, his unfortunate end in this chapter. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. I, I remember hearing this uh, as a young man, being one of smaller stature, Someone told me this phrase uh, to encourage me that if I found myself in a physical bout with someone that was big, it just means that if they're bigger, that just means that they fall harder. Not, that didn't really encourage me too much, uh, but it was supposed to. Bigger they are, the harder they fall. Sam Samson is tricked by females, and then finally we find, we're going to find that he is going to be taken by the Philistines. He's tricked by two different females. Let's begin reading in verse number 1, and let's read verses 1 through 3. The very first female we find here in this chapter. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. This is the first female that Samson is tricked by. It's not the first one that he's tricked by in his story, but the first one in, in this chapter, if you remember, there's another female that is also unnamed, just like this prostitute is unnamed. The first one, it just says that she was a Timnite from the city of Timnah, also a Philistine. We see here that Samson is beginning a... Uh, it's, it's sort of a character trait of him. He is attracted to a particular ethnicity, and that is pagan Philistines. These are the women that he's attracted to. Now, an important part of the story that we read here is that he goes down to Gaza. And what you, the reader should be asking is, why in the world is Samson anywhere near Gaza? Gaza is the southernmost large city in the Philistine territory. He is well far beyond enemy lines in Philistine territory. And we've seen all through his life that he is very comfortable fraternizing and being friends with and even marrying these pagan Philistines. Gaza is 45 miles from his hometown. Now that would be about the equivalent, I looked on GPS, the equivalent of the St. John's Town Center in Jacksonville from Hilliard. And you remember this is not a day that they have cars. This is a long journey. He's a long ways from home. That's how, that's how far Gaza was from his hometown. What's interesting in this story is that his notoriety precedes him. These, these men of Gaza 
know who he is. They know that he's already killed many of the Philistines, a thousand with the jawbone of a donkey, and thirty at his own wedding to, to take their garments so that he could pay his debt in the riddle that he made with the bet that he made. And they decide that they're going to kill him. So, Samson sees this somehow. The, the scriptures don't tell us how he knows, how he foresees what's happening. But he leaves at nighttime and he goes to the city's gate. Now, this was a key city in the Philistine territory, like I said, the southernmost city. And it had a significant gate. In fact, as I was trying to figure out maybe about how much this weighed because uh, he carries it on his back. And one reason why I was trying to find out how much did this gate weigh is because nowhere, curiously, what's, what's missing in this story is that nowhere does it mention that the Spirit of the Lord empowered this feat of strength. Every other time that there's a feat of strength that Samson does, it mentions that the Spirit of the Lord empowered him to do this, but with the gate, it is not mentioned. As I was studying, this would have been an early Iron Age gate that was most likely two stories high. There's some archaeological remains from Canaanite Philistine cities that would have been similar. And there were several different estimates that people gave. I found uh, weights ranging from four tons to ten tons. Would have been 8,000 pounds to 20,000 pounds this gate could have weighed. That is, the, at the smallest end, at four tons, that would be the, the weight of an adult hippopotamus. I've never picked up a hippopotamus, but I've seen them at the zoo. The same weight as an adult African elephant. That's a lot of weight. Samson did not only take that city, or that, uh, city gate off of its hinges, put it on his back, and carry it, but he carried it, it says that he carried it from Gaza, which is the city gate that he took it from, the Philistine city, and he carried it all the way up to Hebron. It says to the top of the hill that is at Hebron. Well, to paint the picture even more clearly, from Gaza to Hebron is 40 miles. 40 miles. And Gaza is at sea level. It's a coastal city at sea level. Zero feet of elevation. Hebron is at the top of the hill, as the scripture says, and that's 3,000 feet above sea level in a mountainous region. Samson steals this city gate, throws it on his back, the weight of possibly a hippopotamus, and carries it uphill the entire way, three to 3,000 feet elevation, to a city of God, a city of in Israelite territory. This is very interesting, these details that are given, but it's almost as if well, what is significant about this story of these gates and this prostitute that is unnamed other than showing us Samson's further downward spiral what, what is Samson doing far behind enemy lines into Philistine territory? And he's not defeating them. He's not ridding God's people from their captivity. He's laying with a prostitute that is theirs. 
This is supposed to be the strong man of God that is going to rid Israel of their enemy. And he's found in the enemy lines fraternizing with their prostitutes. Let's continue reading and find the second female that Samson is tricked by. Let's read in verse number 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. It doesn't just mention that his eyes, that he liked her, that she was good to his eyes as the previous women, but he loved this woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved... Then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. 
Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Here we find Samson is tricked by another, the third female. We find the answer to Samson's wedding riddle. You remember the answer to his riddle. What is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion to Samson? That is a strange woman. It's sweeter than honey. It's irresistible. He cannot resist it and it is stronger than a lion. He can, bear a, he can break a lion in half with his bare hands, but he's going to fall to women every time. Samson's mother is unnamed. Samson's Timnite first wife that he was going to marry is unnamed. The prostitute in Gaza is unnamed. But finally come to a woman in this story who is named. Her name is Delilah. And I think her name is given for a reason. In Arabic, her, the, the word Dala, D-A-L-L-A, would mean to flirt or to seduce. Or, it's possible, Dalala would mean in Arabic, of the night. Do any of you remember Delilah After Dark, that radio station? It was interesting. It, it could be that the, the name Delilah means after dark or at night. Some also have suggested that the name Delilah could have been a double entendre that meant both that she was a seductress at night because they both, the word means, the words sound very similar. She is from the Valley of Sorek. This would have been Philistine territory. So as you're following the story, Samson goes to Gaza. He steals their gate, carries it to the city of God up the hill into Hebron. But he can't stand being in God's country for very long. He can't decide that he's going to marry a godly Israelite young lady. He goes right back to enemy territory in the valley of Sorek. When I'm reading this story, perhaps even while I was reading it tonight, maybe at certain times, you began to chuckle. It's, it's so repetitive. Every time she says... Feigning, I mean, she could have won an Oscar. Samson, the Philistines are upon you for the fourth time. Says the same thing. They're hiding in the inner chamber every time. It's like, how could he have been this dumb? How could he have been this foolish? You know, there's a phrase, actually before I get that, one thing that we need to emphasize is that Samson doesn't learn from his lessons. 
This is not the first time that a woman has batted her beautiful eyes and said, do you not love me? Will you not tell me the answer to your riddle? It's not, a, it's not the first time. You remember at his wedding, his wife-to-be was approached by the Philistines and she, her life was threatened. And she goes up and snuggles to him and says, if you love me, you'll tell me the answer to your riddle. And she wears him down over the seven days of the wedding feast. And finally, on the last day, she's worn him down enough that he gives the answer to the riddle. Delilah does the same exact thing. He's so foolish. This is a young man that doesn't learn from his mistakes. Proverbs 27, verse 15 and 16 are among my favorite proverbs. The Bible says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. The drip on a tin roof is like a nagging wife. It says, if you continue in Proverbs 27:16, to restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's hand. You can't do it. She wears him down. This strong man, this man of strength that can tear apart a lion, that can kill a thousand men with a bone in hand-to-hand -hand combat that can lift a gate that is heavier than anyone here put together, none of us could lift it, and can carry it up a hill. And yet, the constant flirtatious flirting of this beautiful woman is too much for him. And many of you might be thinking, as I was suggesting earlier, how could he possibly be this dumb? Every time he tells her Although he's lying, he tells her what could give away his strength, what the secret to his strength was. She does exactly what he says every time she does it. He says bowstrings and she binds him with bowstrings. He says a new rope, she binds him with a new rope. And his enemies come in from a hidden chamber every time. What is he thinking that at the end, he's going to actually tell her what could take away his strength, and he does. Have you heard of the phrase that love is blind? <coughs> love is blind? Young people, there are many lessons in the life of Samson. We've went through many of them. But one that I think it's imperative for you to learn is that love is so blinding. Whenever you find yourself pursuing someone that you believe, maybe you're dating, someone that you believe could be a partner for you, a spouse, someone that you would like to marry, I would encourage you that you surround yourself with wise counsel. Don't just date this person alone. Don't make it a practice that you never bring them home to meet mom and dad, that you never bring them around others in the church that you would consider wise counsel. That's a great way to fall in love and be completely blind. How could Samson be so foolish when you read the story and you look back over his life, you'd say, I would never do that. Yes, you will. <laughs> because love has caused many men and many women to do incredibly foolish things with their life, make incredibly foolish decisions. It says at the very beginning that he loved her. And he's going to be killed by her. 
with his eyes, that he looked upon her with lust, they're going to be gouged out. The saddest verse in the entire story of Samson we find in verse number 20. Look at verse number 20. It says, And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. She says the same phrase for the last time. And he awoke from his sleep. And this is what he said to himself. He said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson had spiritual unconsciousness. Spiritual unconsciousness. It seems like Samson actually believed that his strength was natural. No doubt that he was naturally a strong man. There were things that he did um, that would lead us to believe that he was probably a strong man naturally. Physically, he was probably very strong. You probably look at him and think that, um, that he could lift. To a degree, is it possible that Samson completely forgot or disregarded that his true strength was from the Lord? He was spiritually unconscious. He assumed that he would wake up, even with his hair cut, even abandoning the third and final of his vows as a Nazarite. He had already touched dead bodies. He had already partaken of wine and grapes. The last straw of his Nazarite vow was his hair that he had growing. And he thought, I can abandon this vow completely and I'll still have my strength. And he had no idea that the Lord had left him. Much of our Christian walk is strengthened by things that we do. We might call them spiritual disciplines. Have you heard of that concept or idea of spiritual disciplines? We decide that we are going to be disciplined to read our Bible. And our faith is strengthened by that. We decide that we're going to pray. And our faith is strengthened by that. We decide, as we all have today, to come together and come to God's house and hear God's Word preached to us. And our faith is strengthened by that. We come to church and we partake in the sacraments and our faith is strengthened by that and, and we have a part to play in those means that God strengthens our faith. And I'm afraid that some can grow complacent. We can go through these motions. We can start to believe and operate our lives in a way that we can do this, we can coast without the power and the strength of God Almighty. Now, Samson was an Old Testament saint and the Spirit of God came upon him in a different way than we have today. We are now, after Pentecost, believers have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're a believer here today, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God. There's not a thing that you can do that would cause him to leave you. He will not leave us nor forsake us. And yet, the Bible in the New Testament does speak that we can quench the Spirit of God by the things that we do in our bodies. We can dampen the power of God, the blessing of God in our life, the presence of God in our life in a very 
tragic way. I wonder if any of us are spiritually unconscious as Samson was. We learn from Samson that we're not nearly as strong as we think we are. We are completely and utterly dependent upon the Spirit of God to sanctify us and to kill the sin that so easily can dominate us at times. The lesson here from Samson that we learn is that Samson should have gouged his eyes out far before the Philistines did. Listen to the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with him, with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Samson would have been better off plucking out his eyes instead of allowing those eyes to be burned with lust through the lust of his flesh. And instead, his eyes are plucked out by his enemies in a mockery of him. And it's not just a mockery of him that we're going to find. We're going to see that this is going to be a mockery of God Almighty. We learn here from Samson the blinding and binding and grinding effects of sin. Look at the last verse, verse number, sorry, the second last, verse number 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. Here we find him grinding at the mill of the prison. This is a picture of a, a, a mill that would have been turning in a circle. Usually they would have had a donkey or a mule or some sort of beast that would have pushed this mill in a circle to grind the mill. And yet they have Samson there with his eyes gouged out, blinded and bound, grinding. That is exactly what sin does. It binds us just as real as shackles around our hands. It binds us. It blinds us. We cannot see the beauty of obedience and the glory of God. Instead, we see our sin. And it leaves us grinding, grinding and working laboring as a slave for our sin instead of living as a slave unto Christ. Let's read the remainder of the passage. We're going to see Samson is tricked by females and finally we'll see that he is taken by the Philistines. Let's read in verse number 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice and they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they, call, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. 
So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. If you look at the last verse before this passage, verse 22, there's a hint that the, script, that the author is giving us. It says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's a hint that perhaps Samson is going to receive his strength once more. And yet, sadly, what we find in Samson's death is the very same Samson that we found in his life. This is a man motivated by selfishness. He is not at all motivated by the glory of the Lord. Nowhere does he say, Lord, would you give me my strength back so that Israel may be released from their oppressors, and that the Lord would not be blasphemed among the pagans. But he simply says, so that I might be avenged because they plucked out my eyes. His selfishness is clear in his prayer. His motivation is clear. If there's any sort of righteous indignation that should swell up in Samson, these pagans are praising Dagon, that Dagon has given them victory over their enemy. Wouldn't it just make sense that his prayer would say, Lord, would you show yourself more powerful than Dagon? Would you rid Israel of their enemy and bring glory to your name instead of the name of Dagon? And yet this man is going to die a selfish man. He dies and he gives his life in a final feat of strength. And in his death, the only number that's mentioned is 3,000, but that's not how many people are there. It simply says that 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking down into the home. Apparently it, it was a home or some sort of building that had an open roof that you could look down into. And Samson is strategically placed at the pillars that were foundational for this entire building. If there's 3,000 men and women on the roof, I would say that there were at least double that inside. And it wasn't just filled with random people, but these are the lords of the Philistines. These are the ones who are in control of the nation of Philistia. Perhaps 10,000 people, 10,000 Philistines are there, 3,000 on the roof 
The Bible here says, remarkable, in verse number 30, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. The Lord uses Samson in such a remarkable way. May the story of Samson be a lesson for us that we would be used like he was. Think about the story of Samson. I cannot think of anyone in the Bible that has so many allusions to the life of Jesus Christ. Samson very uniquely points us to our Savior. You might say, he had lustful eyes. He was an adulterous man. He was with a prostitute. He, was, he had no self-control but went from woman to woman and they weren't even Christian or godly women. They were pagan women. And yet, may it be our prayer that God would use our imperfect, selfish, unrighteous at times lives to point to the Savior. You see, if you remember, Samson had a barren mother. She could not have a child. And Jesus, too, had a mother who could not possibly have a child. She was a virgin. A bar barren women have conceived, but no virgin has ever conceived because it's impossible until Mary. Samson's mother is visited by an angel and told that in spite of her impossible situation, she's going to have a son. And that son is going to rise up in power and he is going to deliver their people from their enemy. And Mary is visited by an angel and she is called blessed. And in spite of her impossible situation as a virgin, she's going to conceive a son, and that son is going to deliver their people from their enemy. The angel visits the husband also of this unnamed woman that gives birth to Samson, and the angel visits Joseph, the betrothed to Mary. Samson is under a Nazarite vow from birth that dedicates his life uniquely to the service of the Lord and Christ as a Nazarene is dedicated uniquely in the temple to the Lord. Samson does many acts of strength from slaying 30 men for their garments to catching 300 foxes and tying their tails together to slaying a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And Jesus performed miracle after miracle, proving that he was no mere man, but he was the God-man, having strength from God himself. It comes to the time of his death, and Samson dies with outstretched arms amongst sinners. And his death, in his death, he defeats the enemy of the people of God. And so Christ dies on a cross with outstretched arms between two sinners. And in his death, he defeats all of the enemies of the children of God. Samson goes far behind enemy lines to Gaza and he uproots the massive city gates and carries them up the hill to the city of God in Hebron. And Jesus Christ the righteous goes far behind enemy lines in the grave and he snatches the keys to death and to hell. And he ascends up to the city of God where he is seated right now 
at the right hand of God Almighty, our Father. Brothers and sisters, what we see here tonight is Christ. Christ is the strong man. And Christ is the strong man who has eyes for one bride, a pure bride. Very soon we will be seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and this, this man, Samson, that we find in your word. He, he reminds us how sinful we can be. How, how foolish we can be. And yet, Lord, you in your sovereignty, in your power, you have weaved a story that only you could do where this man in his unrighteousness, this man in his sin, can point us to our Savior. Father, I pray that tonight your people would see Christ high and lifted up with his arms outstretched dying so that our enemies would be defeated and rising again so that we too will rise again with him. Father, we pray that you would grow our faith, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.